welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 249, and I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. So this is the eve of 250. It is. The pre... It's the pre... Prelude. It's the prelude. It is It is indeed the prelude. And so we decide we are going to announce, right, who's with us for 250. I believe we did. All right. So it's, it would be Matt Milner. Dr. Matt Milner. Dr. Matt Milner will be here with us. Our 250th, and we will, we don't know yet when, but we will announce it. We will announce it. Uh, it I predict it will be before the government shutdown ends. <laughs> I feel good about that. By the way, I, before I came in here, I was out securing the perimeter in case we have to have the State of the Union in here. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. <laughs> By the way, did you see that uh, they were trying to get enough votes to over to ban, to, to basically block Trump's overturning of... The, sanctions. the release of sanctions. And you know who voted with the people that want to keep the sanctions uh, rolled away? Who? Mitt Romney. Really? Mitt Romney. So there we go, the moral anchor of the Senate, the guy that's... This is where I, you know, like, everybody extols the virtues of, like, Jeff Flake or 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 who was the guy from Tennessee that didn't run... Uh, Corker. 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 Bob Corker. Corker. But they vote the same way. They enable yeah. So, like, you can make every principled stand you want. And, again, maybe you could argue that, well, you know, that they thought that some of these – they're forwarding an agenda that they, by and large, believe in. And, you know, some of these sacrifices – okay. But, but when you say that this president is so deviating from the norms, right? right? And then yet you go along with him on everything and enable virtually everything. Right. You – I mean, I, I don't – I don't know what – then all your sort of condemnations mean other than your own conscience or your own sense of like, I, I'm virtue signaling to everybody that I'm one of the good people. I mean, I just said like, and this seems to me something that now maybe there's some thing I don't understand about it. Maybe there's a good reason why you want to give the, one of the oligarchs closest to Putin easing on sanctions so that that would enable him. And, and as Tom Nichols has written, once you touch one of the tentacles, like the oligarchs, the intelligence agencies, the organized crime, the Kremlin, all the tentacles are intertwined. Yep, you're touching yep. the whole octopus. So what you're saying is it, it's good to give someone more resources that's right. part of the octopus. Now, maybe there is a great national security reason for that, given everything, you know. Mitt Romney disappoints. What a surprise. What a surprise. What a surprise. <laughs> Yeah, I remember in the debates in, in the two, in the debates when he was running against Gingrich. So that was 2016, right, or 2012. And uh, he was like, "Well, I, I did one term as governor, and uh, yeah, just decided I wanted to go back to the private sector." And Gingrich goes, "Stop the pious baloney! That's like somebody that says, oh, I was a great college football player, but I didn't really want to be in the NFL. I could have been. You couldn't get reelected." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's true. That's true. The pious baloney. I love it. Yeah, very, very nice. Newt does have his moments. Yeah, yeah. Newt does have his moments, and and there we go. So, by the way, I I thought we were going to go one direction today, so we are going to talk about uh, evolution and beauty and, and rituals ritual. and um, science. Maybe that'll be too 
251. Oh, or 251 might be another guest, which we'll still... Oh, remains to be, to be, remains to be well, seen. Well, yeah, that remains to be seen. We may, we're, I'm going to reach out to that guest today. Right. Yeah, that would be special. It would be incredibly special. Yeah. We will we'll be soliciting uh, bourbon I, I, contributions for that. I will. I will actually even give this unnamed assailant a kudo because I kind of made a. I, it was I thought a constructive comment on one of his posts, yeah. and he liked it. I feel like for two fifty and if two fifty one happens, we should get a bottle of dad's hat and say and have part of it for two fifty. <laughs> you especially will need it. For, for two fifty one, if that happens, yeah, yeah, so. it would be crucial. I feel like to our <laughs> success. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, episode two fifty one will be sponsored by Dad's Hats. Exactly, Rye. Dad's Hats. I, yeah, aged in vermouth barrels. Right, local business. Local business. Bristol, Job creators. Bristol, Pennsylvania. I don't know how many jobs are creating. A couple, I'm sure. A few, yeah, a few. Yeah, some, yeah, more rehab. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it all balances out. Um, there, so yeah, so there today's episode. Today's episode, we want to talk a little bit about. Uh, Grace is where you find. So I I tweeted something. So, I, so first of all, I'm just going to read the tweet because I, this is not. I'm not meaning to be this. This you know we may you know we've done this before and we've made people you know semi semi famous. Semi famous. Yeah, <laughs> we're not even semi famous. Well, so it would be that's like people say back in my day. I'm like I never had a day. Uh, this is uh, what was that one? Uh, Mel Brooks. He was world famous in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are world, world famous, famous in Langhorn. I don't even know if we're world famous in Langhorn. I would guess not. All right, uh, yeah. but but you know, if you put all of our people who know us together, then it would make us semi semi famous. So I think the context of this was a a guy Richard Clark, who's an interesting guy. He and I have just become Twitter friends. I think, but I think he's the podcast producer for Christianity. So he does a lot of their podcast an interesting guy and he said something about which i thought was was thoughtful he said the problem with conservative protestants is is their approach to sort of cultural phenomena is either uncritical embrace or sort of puritanical shunning like there's not any right there's not any kind of thoughtful critical there, all too often there's very little thoughtful you know the, 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 mid, the middle way is always a problem a problem and in Protestantism. Yeah, yeah, especially in a kind of in American evangelical Protestantism, yeah, I think this yeah. is very right. true. Like, right. uh, so then somebody says in response to this, a guy named Derek Rishmawi, who I think is a student, grad student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and it does a podcast. I think it's called Mere Fidelity with like several guys. They have some. Is it, a, is it an insurance? No, it's not. But no. it is. They have some good people on that podcast. It's interesting. The sound quality is so varied, which is fascinating because they're like three or four guys. They're all over the place. And like you could tell they're all over the place. That's what's kind of interesting about. It. But some yeah. of them, the sound quality is just so disparate, which I think is, is, is interesting. And I, I'd love to help those guys out with that. If they wanted some help, I'd gladly do it just for the listeners. But it's, a, but it's, a, it's intellectually very interesting. But he says, both of these threads are good, but I also want to defend my right to make a silly joke on Twitter because perichoresis of culture and common grace overflows into the joy of the eschatological sacrament, sacramentality of being online. Now, I wouldn't say anything about being online. I mean, the sacramentality, it's almost like a disembodied. Right. It's disembodiment. No, I mean, I guess you could say the keyboard, the microphones. Right. Here the mic There's, there are artifacts that maybe you could say have a sacramental character by at certain occasions the way any created reality could you know 
in unusual ways, extraordinary kind of appearances of grace, that kind of thing. Is it possible that you may be taking this statement too serious? Well, no, I'm just trying to understand what it says. And then what is this perichoresis of culture and common grace over... So perichoresis... He just, he just, he just read Maximus Confessor. Right. So basically perichoresis, right, is, this, is the term that, you know, it, it originates in the patristic period, goes well on to the rest of church history where people are talking about initially, the relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit, right? The, this, initially it is in that, and then it becomes a Christological term later on in the Christological debates. And it also becomes a... Uh, term that refers to the transformation of the individual under grace. And now it sometimes becomes a blanket term for any time things are related. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like That would like, be, all right, well, we just went there. We went uh, Gregory Nazianzus, <laughs> Maximus Confessor, but that would be de-evolution. Yeah, I mean, it's, so I guess what he means here, though, is is the paracrease of culture, that culture and common grace Overflow into the joy of the es- uh, so okay. I think he's just throwing, again. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a little. It, uh, By the way, so, can I just say something about Maximus Confessor? Since we yes, did, he you know there are some people that are hard to read because they're not saying anything. You know there are some people. I think there's a lot of contemporary writing. <laughs> I would say <laughs> Com- almost Maxim- the norm of of academic journal right, articles. Right. But Maximus Confessor is hard to understand because he is deep and I think profound. Uh, someone said about Thomas Aquinas, the only time he's hard to understand is when he's talking about something difficult. But I think um, Maximus Confessor, I think sometimes is, you know, he, he's, there's, there's a distance because of his profoundness and, you know, also his language, his philosophical language. But he's worth, he's worth wrestling with. Absolutely. I All right, this, I, and this, I, I, this, I would, this part of the broadcast has been brought to you by Maximus Confessor. Exactly. Exactly. Because he can't speak for himself. No, absolutely not. So. That was a, that was a joke. I like that. You know, absolutely, I said absolutely. I chuckled. No, you didn't. Yes, there was. There was. There, was there are three three patristic scholars out here. Eventually, will chuckle to themselves. Yeah. So I said, I hate the term "common grace." Grace is always special and particular wherever it's found. To which Derek Rishmawi responded, "K." But also, the concept makes sense. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, and by the way, I sent you when you sent me a, a picture of that. I sent. I gave you undershirts. No, that was after that. I gave you a heads up. I gave you real. I thought I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like that statement by you. Say it again because I want more uh, here people. We go. Here, here we go. Just the one you said, not what he said. I'm going to retweet this out as his own tweet instead of reply eventually. Maybe today. Maybe right now. Maybe while we're talking. I hate the term common grace. Grace is always special and particular wherever it's found. I could retweet that. I wouldn't even have to. It, no, I think it's, it. and I think that actually, you know, I'm thinking about someone. Sometimes there are people out there trying to figure out what our theological project is. Yeah, and when you do, let us know because we'd like we to love, know. We love that. We would We're in to search know. of a project. But I think that is part of our theological Absolutely. project. Absolutely, that grace is grace. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts. 
projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butrin, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, and Stephen Rowe. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Yeah. And so, so then Rish, Rishway, Derek Rishway responds, K, but also the concept makes sense. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think, but here's the thing. I think that the concept, when you use the term common grace, so changes the concept because what it, what it says is it. We should define it for folks. So who okay, so so what you know, people often say that uh, you you'll hear reformed people, disciples of the tradition of John Calvin, often say rightfully, total depravity does not mean we're as bad as we could be. It means that there's no part of the human condition that's not touched by the tragic reality of sin. So. Which is a good definition of total depravity. Yeah, right, right. It just means that even our 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 we repent of our virtues as well as our vices because they're they're t- tainted. Right. It doesn't mean everything is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. My with which had Tina Turner, uh, which I like. So, but so then, outside of the church and 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 you know outside of Israel or the church, you know you look at the Bible as a whole. There's always people that seem to be people of spiritual enlightenment. That God is clearly using instrumentally. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Jephiro, uh, the Rechabites may have not been Jewish. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there are these, and the reason they, these are obscure figures that are very important, though, theologically. Right. Because they, they're, 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 they're. Job. Job. Yeah. It's something from the beginning of the earliest parts of the tradition that these people pop up. Uh, right. And th- th- one way to look at that, one way to frame, you know, the, the what does Augustine say? There are. Ruth. About the church, there are. Wolves within and the and sheep outside, like so yeah, yeah, saying, no, yeah. No. So, so that's like you know you the, find the idea of the anonymous Christian, yeah, like the, the, the the sort yeah. So the person that's the unwitting witness uh, uh, to the God of Israel revealed in Christ, that sort of thing. So how do you think about that? So one way to think about it is common grace, which I think thinks of grace like a substance, right? So it's a, it's through what uh, my teacher Bruce McCormick would say it works on a substantialist ontology, which means like when you, how you think about reality is like stuff. Reality is a bunch of substances. And so it's all, as if God took like a, a great, a bucket of grace, threw it all over, equally distributed. And so there's all this like residual kind of grace, which well, allows sort of human promise, possibility, signs, you know, unwitting witnesses, the gospel, that sort of thing. So, so then what the you sparks do, of the divine scattered around. It's almost a Gnostic. You can, you can almost, I mean, the way you described it there was kind of the Gnostic overflow a little bit. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and then again, most people wouldn't say Gnostic overflow. I mean, most people that, especially you, you find this term common grace used frequently in the Dutch reform tradition, like the Dutch right. Calvinist tradition, right. you find it a lot more. And people that are self-styled in that tradition 
generally more on the evangelical side. They're not exclusively and, and, and see themselves as Kuiperites and that sort of thing. You hear them use this term a lot. My problem is it leads to a kind of idea that, okay, there's this sort of bucket of, of substance grace or there's like an auto setting, you know, like right. I always think there's two settings in movie theaters, like Arctic Tundra and Sahara Desert, right? So like <laughs> around March, they switch it. Like, you know, but as if there's like one default setting right. in the world and one in the church. And so you start like systematizing the way that common right. grace is out there, which I think is a problem because I think every time, you, you sent me that quote today, right? The Halik said, the only gift God has to give. No, it's, it's from Dodge's Sound. Or from Dodge's Sound, right? Okay. The only thing that, the only gift God has to give has is, to give is God's himself. Self. Is, is yeah. himself. It's yeah. God's self. So that every time that grace or revelation also this is divvied up into general and special revelation very often like right. and then again it's the same thing there's a general amount of revelation out there like you know there and then it winds up these things it's, it's almost like what aquinas does in the five ways like well anybody with just some ingenuity can see from a blade of grass that you know there's contingency and all this stuff so i tend to think that it it leads to an over systematizing and departicularizing of grace in the places where inside the church and outside the church, right? So the way God gives the gift of himself is special, particular in each instance, right? right. And even in our lives, moment by moment. And so I think that, that what I don't like about the term is that, yeah, what you're saying, grace is grace. It's, it's, it's. Well, I think sometimes it's a mistaken attempt to try to uh, defend a kind of an exclusivity of, of the revelation of Christ. I mean, there's sometimes that there's a sense where, okay, yes, God, God so loved the world, but He really, really loved you know, Israel. And there's there's a sometimes, and then the church, who sometimes people will treat that as a replacement of Israel or a continuation, or don't even think about that relationship. But um, you know, it it it, it some it, it creates. Or is the cheerleaders to say Netanyahu? Go all the way to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, so there's a sense where I think it is a doctrine we've created in order to to maybe fence in something that doesn't need to be fenced in. Right. I, yeah, I think that phenomenologically, it's you absolutely encounter signs of God's love and revelation all over the place. And you... My teacher Jeff Stout from Princeton University once time he said if you don't need a theory you don't have one. Right. I mean he was schooled in American pragmatism the best of that tradition and and that, I'm in sympathy with that view. Like I think that certain things you don't need. Like it's interesting because in his book Ethics After Babel he says you know it, we can't. He's critiquing this view that sort of uh, he talks about how C.S. Lewis kind of thinks you need natural law to have anything like ethics or anything like that. Stanley Harawas thinks you have to reject it to have real ethics because there's only Christian ethics or Buddhist ethics or feminist ethics. Or And Stout says, well, no, neither of these positions are right because if you if Buddhists and a Buddhist and a Christian feminist are arguing about ethics, they know they're not arguing about plumbing. So there's already, or, or things like translation are possible. Right. We just, Stout says, you know, we just can't always come up with a theory to explain why these translations are possible. That doesn't mean that the reality is not real. And so sometimes I think when we actually bring a theory to a phenomenon, it actually obfuscates more than it makes clear. Right, right. I mean, it's, it, I think, and, and also it's, it, yeah, it, it binds rather than liberates. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, someone, I was talking to someone about Simone Weil the other day who, 
And, you know, Simone, in her thoughts, she talks about, she's, she thinks there's, there's crucifixion in, in all world thought. You know, uh, it may be more hidden, it may be more muted, but this idea of the innocent sacrifice for the greater good or for the salvation of the all, she thinks is a very, it's, it's something that's almost imprinted in, in human consciousness. Now, for her, you know, would that, she wouldn't call that common grace. That's just God. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. And I think that, and it, it, yeah. And I think it's not, it's, this is my issue with somebody like Carl Rahner's theory of the anonymous Christian, because what, where he, he come, he is trying to account for people of what he thinks that have real faith that have never heard or heard and rejected for good reason. Like I think, but it gets so schematized. She starts saying, well, according to this person's conscience, and, and so you're less in wonder before the actual gift of God in front of you in a place you didn't expect it. And you're more like, okay, well, how do I schematize this? Where do I put it? Is it listed? Is it illicit? And so this is, I mean, Carl Bart, when he works on these issues in Church Dogmatics 4.3, it's great because he doesn't really have a system of it. He kind of states the reality and talks about it, but he doesn't really give you, he doesn't even tell you if he's talking about religions or not, although certainly they fall under this thing because he doesn't want to over-schematize it. Because if if you're seeing real revelation in front of you, a revelation of the triune God, but that person's life doesn't appear as the triune God, but if it's God, you can't master it. Right, right. And so anything that's over-schematized to account for it, I think generally leads to our tendency to, to master it and miss the moment. And that's why it's appropriate to call you know, the mystery of beauty, the mystery of love. Yeah. And, and to see to see divinity there. Yeah. And revelation of divinity. And also, I mean, there's a sense where that to be touched by beauty, to be touched by love, is is a grace-filled moment. Yeah. And I think so there's a sense where, um, you know, it's it's funny. I, when you were talking, I was reminded of Yosef uh, Klein Halevi, who uh, uh, is a Jewish, uh, he's a citizen of Israel now. He was a... American, uh, his father, he's a journalist, father was a Holocaust survivor. But, you know, with, with, he spent, uh, right before the second intifada, he spent 18 months doing the religious practices of both Muslims, Jews, and Christians. And it's a very powerful story. I mean, he ends up, uh, back in a, uh, a village in Gaza that he was trapped in as a soldier when he was in, you know, serving and he's there. Uh, worshiping, praying with Sufi Muslims, uh, pretty powerful stuff. But there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, um, there's a dialogue. He, he spends time with some, uh, with, uh, monastic nuns, uh, a woman who had, uh, a nun who had been silent, that's practiced silence for 20 years. And she was moved to come out of that. And, and they have this very powerful, um, powerful dialogue. And at one point, you know, he's, he's really trying to push these, you know, he starts the whole process by saying, you know, if all of us find our, our being in God, then somehow that should be a solution, not merely something that divides us in this region. So, I mean, you can debate the sentiment, but it's a powerful sentiment, and he tries to live it out. And it's, it's uh, uh, outside the gate of the Garden of Eden is the name of the book. Um and there's this point where he's talking to the nun, and he says, "You and she, she they're, they're a missionary order. They, they actually came into the, you know, into Israel Palestine to 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 do mission." But he goes back and forth. At one point, he says, "You know, are you only recognizing my uh, the integrity of my my relationship with God 
because you're translating it in your head to think that I'm a Christian when I'm not. And it was an interesting kind of thinking because can you just accept that I am praying to God and that we are praying to the same God? And it was an interesting kind of back and forth. And I think there's a way, you know, he certainly was, was coming at from one point, but I think there is a, there is a, there is a way that if God is God, if all truth is God's truth, if, if grace is grace, then we don't merely have to kind of, if with someone, like a devout Jew, or for that matter, a devout Muslim, we don't have to immediately somehow see the hidden Christ in what they're doing, because you know the hidden Christ is is it's all it's all one. And so I'm not saying that that compromises the distinctiveness of Christ, but I think trying to divide common grace and special grace, and you know, I I think you're trying to speak about things that we don't we don't have. We're not, we're not, we don't have a pay grade. It's not in our pay grade to figure yeah, all this stuff out. I mean, I mean, I think that like inevitably you are seeing it through those lenses, right? Like, because you can't. Because help. those are my lenses. Yeah, right. So, but I think that you don't need to, after seeing it, like you, you don't need to over explain it. No, you can learn from it. Sure. But I think like holding, it's, it's, it's interesting because one way to think about mystery and revelation, you think of like. There's the revelation, right? Whether it's through the Torah or through Christ or something, and then the mysteries behind it, right? But I want to say something more like the revelation comes in and alongside the mystery, like they're both perichoretic. There we go. <laughs> they, there, there's so, redeeming the term. So that, yeah. so that, so that the, it's not like okay, now we have Christ, God in Christ, and then the mystery behind it. Like it's more like, wow, God's revealed in Christ. Now, what does that mean? You know, because even the terms we have for it are inten- are cause tensions and paradoxes. So I think that. Yeah, for instance, we just did the baptism of Jesus. Right. So what does that really, what is really happening there? I explain the baptism of Jesus in terms of Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. Okay, if you don't want to go that direction, what's really <laughs> going on there? <laughs> well, and I think, I think the power of the moment is to be, to be reminded, not to reduce it, but to say, this is weird. It's weird in some yeah. levels that Jesus is baptized and let it set. You know, for me, the phenomenon, I've, you know, I've done a good bit of, uh, interfaith dialogue. I'm about. I'm about to start teaching preaching to to Buddhist priests. I like that. <laughs> but one of the things I found is that all my interfaith the dialogue proof would be in the pudding. Does attendance at the temples go up? Give <laughs> <laughs> out ceremony vows. Uh, yeah. But I think um, my own experience has been the I I come away with a greater appreciation for different traditions, a more openness, and a firmer grounding in my own creedal Christianity. I mean, it's funny. I, and I don't, I can't, I can't totally explain how that's working, but I'm a better Christian because, and in the full sense of that, I mean, in the full creedal affirmation of our, of our distinct faith because of walking with and praying with Jews, Muslims, and, and, and Buddhists. Mother Teresa said, I love all religions. But I'm in love with Christianity. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, and uh, I don't know if you're listening to this, my friend Aza, but uh, this I had lunch with a guy yesterday, and he got into a debate a bit. Well, he walked away from the debate, uh, which I thought was virtuous, about with uh, one of his relatives wanted to fight with him about whether or not the Dalai Lama was going to be in heaven or not, and uh, because he see there was this picture that came up of uh, Des- Bishop Tutu and and Dalai Lama uh, embracing. And he said, ah, oh, that's beautiful. And she goes, yeah, but he won't be in heaven. Yeah. So that might not be where I'd want to go with that. No. No. 
Grace is grace. Grace is grace. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.